Welcome to the Bruz Bookshelf. This week we're going to wrap up Dr. Carter G. Woodson's Miseducation of the Negro. Tune in next week when we cover Dr. Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts. Harvey, what you think about the book so far? Well, man, I'm glad that we had an opportunity to read it again. Um, it's, it's so important. Uh, this book is a drag, okay? Um, because it's not a book that it's not a book that has a happy ending, right? It's not a book that um, I think he he's doing his best job to give a very thorough analysis so that we can see how um, how many ways we've been miseducated. And he's it's definitely it's definitely a book of a lot of finger pointing. Well, it's it, definitely a, a lot of, a book of a lot of introspective. Oh, absolutely. Uh, analysis. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. Okay, you said finger pointing. Okay, I think there's a lot of examples in there, right? And I just think, yep. I just think it's it's just so hard when he when he presents those examples, right? It make it forces you to think about somebody you know, or um, you know, <laughs> or, or yep. something something maybe you've been through, or I I know at least for me that's what it does, right? So I think about. How many ways I've missed the mark? I internalize a lot of the things that that I'm reading. You know, you know what? Also, it, it's a uh, it's a book. If had been read, or if it had a lot of more notoriety backed by some consciousness, a lot of these things won't be repeating themselves. Like today, he already had the blueprint. Like, hey, if this happens, this is going to happen, and then you're going to be stuck in the same situation. Hey, if you do this, well, this is going to happen. You're going to be stuck in the same situation. I mean, that's that's an interesting take on it, man. Because I think um, I think a lot of people have have been introduced to the book, and you're right. Is they maybe they didn't digest it? I know. Again, I read it frequently, and I just digest more and more each time. But I think that's part of. Some of the fallacy, though, is the notion that if we just knew better, we would do better. Because I think that we forget that we're dealing with a a system that uses force, yeah. like physical violence. And that's something that I don't think he addresses directly in, in this book. And I think that's that's one of those things that maybe for our own good, he doesn't talk about physical violence, you know. While we're talking, I'm looking up just to see, just to make sure. But I don't, re- I don't just recall a direct attention to physical violence as it, something it's that not a direct attention. This was during the time when lynching, lynching, yeah, uh. lynching was the thing of physical violence. A lot of house bombings, but you know yeah. what I mean. Uh, terror, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, so you the, know uh, the Ku Klux Klan burning crosses. Yeah, and, and so this idea that we're just gonna you know learn anything that's gonna change our condition. Nah, it ain't about learning. They're teaching us very directly why why the stuff that he's talking about isn't isn't important. You know, all you have to do is introduce violence, and then everybody put everything aside and then just focus on their natural survival. Right. So you, that's a great distractor. Violence. Oh, absolutely. Somebody going upside your head. They can still get your attention. Your personal being, your life is, is at stake. You don't care about strategy or anything. The only thing you're focusing on now is staying alive, keeping your loved ones alive. 
Absolutely. And that, that is That'll, a great distractor. Yo, that will make you out. throw all kinds of stuff out of the window. So check this out. The practice of voodoo. And uh, voodoo is one of those type of religions that were very threatening towards the establishment because that's how the Haitians won their independence. One of the things that they had was they weren't afraid of death. But when you introduce a religion and it makes people afraid to die, then you can kind of come in and control them. So when you threaten violence or you threaten death, they will abandon all strategies, like I just said, and then just conform. But if they're not afraid of death, they like bring it on. We're going to fight through this until our living is much better. So, you know, what? I've I've learned that best. And I and this might summarize for me <laughs> the whole book. And it, and it just may. I hate to go there that quickly, but it just may. So, you know, in the first, I like keep going referring to that first opening line about how the Negro and all his schools, the two he has, yeah, he's been learned to to study the ways of the Hebrew, the Roman, the Greek, uh, the Teuton, love everybody, including the Teuton, and despise the African. Well, you know, that which you just talked about, the idea that violence is a distractor. Oh, absolutely. And and that um, you know, voodoo was attacked because it was something that was it taught it taught freedom. Absolutely. Um because it taught the, the individual to be one with nature and their surroundings. The only way you learn that, and and more importantly, their and exactly, and the ancestors, it's very hard to accept those principles if you despise the African, because the African is is where all that comes exactly. from. Hey, you know the African, exactly. You know, even in chapter nine, when he had that quote, and he said. It said, if you can control a man's thinking, you do not have to worry about his actions. When you determine what a man shall think, you do not have to concern yourself about what he would do. If you make a man feel that he's inferior, you do not have to compel him to accept inferior status, for he will seek it himself. If you make a man think that he is justly an outcast, you do not have to order him to the back door. He will go without being told. And if there is no back door, his very nature would demand one. Listen, man, when he was talking about that piece, he was talking about, he leads into that because he's talking about what happens when the Negro history is erased and he's he's not learned, the Negro does not learn that he has a place in history. And so therefore he develops an inferior status. Let me go back to that notion of despising the African. And going to your place. See, when you erase the history, one of the things that I know that I was not taught about was African resistance to colonialism. See, we get to throw around this little idea that, oh, Africans participated in our slavery. Yeah, so what? They did. But who fought back? And how long did the fight back last? And how many wars were they? And that's something that's very, very important to our psyche. Because we are left believing that the African 
either was not paying attention when we got taken away or that he just threw us away. We were not taught that there were those who wage war against colonialism. There was people who who fought for, for, for years against colonialism, and we don't know that. Yes. And we don't know that there were women warriors who did that. Queen so, and Zinka. <laughs> so you know what I'm saying. Di- One of my favorites. <laughs> so so so. Queen and she was a bad woman. So that is a very critical component of our psyche that I think um, Dr. Woodson leaves out of this text and has us focusing on this idea of just learning things in a very um, scholastic orientation, which I understand why he did that. You know, but that's the that's the that that's the shortcoming of his text. Yeah, I think he was just trying to make a point, and then if you wanted to dig deeper, then you, you know you can go and dig deeper. You, but this book wasn't for that. It wasn't for that. But that that you gotta you gotta turn the page, right? You gotta turn the page, and you gotta you can't just leave it there. And I think that's one of the things that we talked about earlier. Many of us were introduced to this book. I've had so many people tell me, "Man, I remember meeting that in high school and middle school, and Mister So and So taught us that book, or or, or the So and So coach used to read that book to us." And uh, I gave a speech on that, and it's like, "Yeah, that's cool, man. That is so cool." <laughs> We still miseducated, and it gets worse and worse each year. Yeah, I um, <laughs> I hate to be like that, but you know, that's what the book is about. <laughs> that's what it's about, and we haven't turned it. We haven't gotten it right yet. We have the we have more potential now than ever before with the advent of the, the way technology is, the way we're able to see ourselves in a global aspect, the way that we can see. You know, our influences across the globe, across the, across the world, where we can tap into African artists, African culture and see that it's, it's, you know, the lies that we've been taught. That stuff is you don't have to be lied to no more. So maybe just maybe what he was talking about can be fast tracked because it's been long enough in the dark. You know, <laughs> it's been long enough in the dark. So maybe, maybe with technology and the internet, we can fast track some of our history, man. You know, these kids can Google what they need to know and um, they, the miseducation won't continue, but it's going to have to begin with the love and the love of oneself, you know, loving the African. There, there was a, uh, in chapter nine, I think, yeah, chapter nine, we just read a quote from it. Political education neglected. Right. And and we talk about like moving forward. Mm-hmm. And cool, uh, the I, Constitution, right? Yeah, by teaching the Constitution. Yeah, go ahead. Go, uh, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're going to read that? Not long ago, a measure was introduced in a certain state legislature to have the Constitution of the United States thus printed in school histories. But when the bill was about to pass, it was killed by someone who made the point that. It would never do to have the Negroes to study the Constitution of the United States. If the Negroes were granted an opportunity to pursue this document, they might learn to contend for the rights therein guaranteed. And no Negro teacher who gives attention to such matters of the government is tolerated in those backwards districts. The teaching of government or lack thereof such instruction then must be made to conform to the policy of keeping the Negro in his place. So I bring that up because there's a trend now. People like doing elections, the presidential elections. I start seeing this, this woke black power trend, like why vote? It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Right. But my thing is, okay, 
I, I hear what you're saying and you make good points, but it's not all the way true because if voting didn't matter, then there would have never been any voter suppression laws. If black and brown people made voting a priority and actually voted in our favor within 10 or less years, the whole tapestry of the United States would tilt in our favor. Well, I think I think I think that's a very 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 passionate analysis, bro. And I think um, <laughs> I think black people uh, still have the opportunity to uh, to to prove that that notion. Um, but I still think that there's some violence in the room and there's some power in the room that really don't matter what you vote on, and you got to be ready for that. And I think. Um, I want to draw attention to that same quote, something that I find in the quote that's kind of funny when you read in between the lines, right? He said, not long ago, a measure was introduced in a certain state legislator. Let's just, let's just play around. This is 1933, 1930. How many black people were present at a certain state legislator? Probably not a lot. So check this out. Um, but when the bill was about to be passed... It was killed by someone who made a point that it would never. Okay, so when the bill was about to be passed, it was killed by someone. It was probably another white person. So what we have here is a is a peek into a meeting with white people. Okay, and in this meeting with white people, you have white people predicting the fate of black people, and this notion that if we were to learn something, we would know what our rights are. As if we don't know what our rights are intrinsic. See, freedom is something that's intrinsic to you. That's what Malcolm used to teach. This idea that you you were born free. And so, you know, the idea that they're saying that we had we would learn to contend for our rights, that's that's crazy. And so whereas when you just spoke about the, the people who might say why voting doesn't matter, that attitude is a result, right? of dealing with so many years this white people who lie to themselves about our well-being and that's where that attitude is coming from that that that's just complete um you know they they have no faith no trust in this system because they have seen how the efforts of these people to systemically exclude them you know over the years yeah but i think and that's that, a trick that, that, that wears on people Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a trick, you know. But silly, yeah, tricks for kids. <laughs> say again, but they say silly rabbit tricks are for kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but let's, let's not fall for those tricks. Still you know go out and vote. Don't don't go for that. You know, you know. Say go out for a vote. Go you better watch your back. That, watch your that back. Voting doesn't matter. <laughs> you better watch your back. But so the other day I was watching this show about Michelle Obama. And one of the things that stuck out to me was doing Barack Obama's campaign for presidency. The New Yorker attempted to smear his campaign by painting this portrait of Michelle Obama as this pro-black anti-American woman through this caricature of her with an Afro camouflage outfit fist bumping Barack Obama with this Middle Eastern garb on. The mere fact that having a pro-black awareness about yourself was a bad thing stuck out to me. 
because it was almost as if being pro-black means anti-everything else and anti-America, which is totally not the case. It's just your guilt leads you to believe as such. It's the man, it's the audiences that 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 they're appealing to, you know. Um I'm gonna tell you a little dirty little secret. It's gonna be out now since I said. So, you know, I wear dashikis a lot. And I happen to live in a place where historically is known for the clan. And I have found in my travels that when I got on my dashiki, the people who look like the folk that most kin to the Klansmen, they are the most friendliest people in my presence. When I got on a suit and a tie, that's when I feel white hatred. So I've, I, I think it's, 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 it definitely depends on your audience because there are certain spaces that they don't want to see you try to achieve their space, right? So if you can present yourself as, as authentic you, you're not as threatening to them as, as, as you may think you are, as opposed to when you are dressing like them and trying to do like them, that's a different type of threat, you know? But anyway, I, I, I still think, you know, behind the enemy maybe, lines, maybe nobody that safe. kind of falls into that same ideology of being separate. That's why, yeah. um, Malcolm X met with, uh, met with the Klan. Not Malcolm. Malcolm did meet with the Klan. Yes, he did. And I know, I know, people said Marcus Garvey met with them too, but I know for sure Malcolm met with them. Well, he met he. There's a there's that that's well. Okay, I ain't gonna say he. I don't. I didn't. I don't know what you're referencing. I know it's referenced in a movie, but I don't know what you're referencing. No, I'm referencing anyway. in that uh, in that book, that Manny Marvel book. Uh, the reinvention of Malcolm X. He met with the Klan, and 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 they both agreed that separate is better. But anyway, I mean, I, I guess that's um, that just goes to your point. Your point is, you know, when you have on your African garb and and you expressing your identity, you're less of a threat to them. But when, like you said, but when you try to assimilate into their culture, they they probably feel like, hey, you're trying to be us to get something that that belongs to us right yeah right because some people think you know because some of us they double down on it but they know you ain't you ain't no threat because you wearing a dashiki so you must not have nothing you must you they know you ain't trying to you ain't trying to go out what they got because you got on a dashiki <laughs> i mean yeah i mean a lot of people hell. who wear dashikis though uh all the time are in education for the most part okay. or, or, or they're retired <laughs> okay. Because, like you said in uh, in one of the podcasts before, you was going through your dad's yearbook and you noticed that they had, you know, black power and dashikis right. and afros, and you said, "Daddy, what happened to this?" We went to work. <laughs> right. Yeah, I man. I think that's the that's the the part about the analysis again that makes it. It's like it's like double dutching. You know, on one part you got to get this money by doing what you got to do even if it appears to be continuing the the subservient relationship of your ancestor. Yeah. But it's all about fulfilling a need because what happens is when these white people come up with technology, technology allows it so that they don't have to look at you. So that's what the cotton gin did. 
it released them from looking at you and it released them for having to exalt that physical pain against you for making you stay in line. And so as we become more and more advanced technologically, you know, vocational education is going to become, it's always important, like you said, but it's going to become, it's going to change because the things that we use change, you know, um, we're going to always need people who know the basics. And the question is going to become, how do you get that? Because if we have been spending our time on quote unquote, our best and brightest, learning how to talk, read and write and not knowing, you know, righty tighty, lefty loosey. If you don't know what that means, you know, go check yourself. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't know what righty tighty, lefty loosey mean, that's what we talking about. You know what I mean? You know what? Hold on. Let's go back to what you said. You said with the cotton gin, they had to become less in contact with us and less having to look at us and look in our eyes. Right. and, and see it and be and, and come right. face to face with reality. Also, in right. today with technology, is the more technology, the more things they can build machines to do things that people can do, the less they have to deal with us. That's the point. And, and the less they I, have to deal with us, you don't have to push us back to Africa. We could just close the gate and starve yeah. you out. Starve you out. You kill yourself. I seen automated burger flippers, automated. Fry flippers. That's know? why I'm so against that stuff when I go into. But the, then, uh, forget this, forget this. I remember being in grad school. There was a brother from Jamaica. Shout out. I forget, you know, I hope brother's still kicking, doing his thing. Brother wanted to come up with an automated factory. Like he was hell bent on an automated factory. And he was trying to go to Jamaica and set up these automated factories. And I used to be like, yo, fam, like, how you just going to go and bring all that work there and not employ the people? And he just like would look at me like, fuck it. Like, that ain't my problem. Like, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man. All right. So uh, in that chapter, he talk about this man named Jan Matzing Jinger. And and he did some one of the same things what we're talking about. Like your boy made them shoes. Yeah, with the shoes. Um, put everybody out of damn business. Tell put, put everybody out of business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that was his way of getting revenge. You know, they they were treating him bad. You know, and he said, "You know what? I I got you. I, okay." And then he invented a machine called the lasting machine. And what it does is it ties the the top of the shoe down into the sole of the shoe. And and that that process was an arduous process, and they was only able to make fifty shoes a day. But with his machine, one machine can do seven hundred shoes a day, thus putting all those people out of a job. So this was a white factory, a white factory of shoe cobblers. Yes, exactly. Uh, it was a white factory in, uh, I believe, it was in Massachusetts. But that's another. That's another example of how. how that's another example of how cold blooded white folks are, bro. They don't waste no time. They that that fail fast principle been in their lexicon for a long time. That nigga just made that machine. He ain't made but three of them. They already like, oh, this is better. This is better, Ed. Get rid of them, <laughs> bro. Bro, when it this comes is- down to it, man, race is designed for money. This is better, Ed. Yeah, so it ain't really about it's, it's, it's really not about a white or black thing. It's about it's about money and securing your financial future. 
And then you can split the people up with race, gender, sexual orientation, and make them fight against each other. While the true, have a gun, the true corporate is out there getting money. It's crazy, man. And that's that's part of you know why we can't can't sleep, man. It's, it's important that we have a community that um that that patronizes each other and that works from each other and that's willing to take advice from each other. Remember, he talks about that in chapter twelve. Talk about Negroes not wanting to take advice from each other, yeah, not wanting yeah. to not wanting to work under you know foremans of their own color. Yeah, but I know. but I also think in that in that chapter too, uh, I, I have to I have to I see his point, but his point is only one sided because I think that it is when they picked you, they picked you for a reason. They picked you because they knew that you wasn't going to upset the system. Right. They knew that you were like one of them. And you were going to do that bidding. So ain't nothing changed. Black people saw right through that. Ain't nothing changed. I mean, that's 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 that one side of it. There are there are those who are given opportunities again by their own people, and they just just surely distrust them. You know what I'm saying? They're like, man, this dude this dude can't have the success, or he can't have the security blanket that my good white job is giving me. You know, right, this, this black people's job can't have that. Here's the play, and the play is to keep you subservient in a lower class. The more you have sense of self and knowledge of self, the more that you will be a complete person, and you can function better in society. I gotta give this this ode to the brother Anthony Browder because he came to Durham and he taught me this. Uh, he gave a talk and he mentioned this book called Brainwashed. In the book Brainwashed, he called it the modern day miseducation of the Negro. And the book Brainwashed is by this brother named Tom Burrell. And Tom Burrell was a marketing executive. Um, he, was, he, he had a marketing company and it was the largest black owned marketing company in the country. And so he's talking about all his years in marketing and how he learned that the number one rule in marketing is the myth of white supremacy, black inferiority. And, and, and Anthony Browder once again said that that book was the modern day miseducation of the Negro. Now to connect those two and to give you my thoughts on the, on the text, I think, you know, all the things that you said, that was definitely like his intent. But I think that when you look at it in the modern context and you read it, the book doesn't have a happy ending. Like he's telling you what to do. He's telling you an analysis based on his experience. And the forecasting of it is amazing because the things that he's talking about are still very current today. And then, you know, Tom Burrell's book tells you how they're still current because he's using this marketing um, thing to show you, oh, yeah, this is where I saw it at. This is, oh, yeah, you're right. This is, I do remember that commercial or I do remember that jingle and all this stuff that you had paid, you had paid no attention to. So the miseducation didn't just happen in your school. It happened in your, it happened in your life. It happened in your home, your church. It happened in the streets. You know, it happened in the playgrounds. It happened on the telephones. It happened in the, sh in the shows that you watch and the music that you listen to. And so 
you know, I think that uh, is a it's an opportunity for us to hand to heal. It's an opportunity for us to cleanse when we read the book because um, no one's coming to save us um, but ourselves, and um, I think it's up to us <laughs> to do so. And I think um, that's the good thing about the book, I guess, because it's like a pinch, a pinch in the ass, I guess, to go do something. So, you know, like you said, man, shout out to Brother Carter G. Wilson for giving us this text, you know, out of love. Thank you for listening. Please remember to click the subscribe button. Leave a five-star rating followed by a glowing comment. Hope you enjoyed.